excited for this podcast. This is going to be a good one. Yeah, guys, welcome to the show. This is, the, this is Into the Apocalypse uh, episode, who knows? 170? Know, 170, maybe. We'll see when Overall. it comes out. Something around there. But uh, yeah, we don't need to do a long intro today. We just did a show the other night. It is cold, it is wet, and it is dark. I had a uh, hard time getting anything going today, man, because I wake up and man, it's uh, it's getting down to the end of the end of the year, getting towards the solst the equinox. Is that what it is? Or the solstice? Solstice. solstice. Yeah. Oh yeah, equinox would be equal. Yeah. So, so yeah, getting close to our shortest day of the year. Yeah, I mean it's even shorter for you probably, but the sun's coming out here at damn near eight o'clock and yeah, then that sounds about right and I then think sunrise uh, itself is like a little before eight but it's yeah not. we're at like 7 42 i can't and even then, tell right now because it's so cloudy yeah so it's just and then, these dark 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 mornings and then uh yeah and then it's like uh 4 4 20 the, the yeah. sun goes down so man yeah like i and then it's pouring rain and cold and it's like dark anyway all day long so I tried, you know, I tried to do stuff today. I went and hung out with my pigs for a little bit and I went out and tried to clean my shop and I just kind of walked in circles out there all day. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but um, other than that, uh, business uh, guys were brought to you by Wise Wolf Gold and Silver Exchange. Uh, if you want to get involved in some precious metals, get over there and see what our good friend Tony Arterburn has going on. Um, you can use our affiliate link. It's in the show notes. Deborah gets redpilled.gold. And uh, other than that, uh, Time Talent Treasure, we are a value for value show. So, um, yeah, we appreciate it all. Get at us in the Telegram chat. It's been pretty quiet in there lately. Um, what else? Uh, email, Twitter, all that stuff. Deborah's. Yeah, let, uh, us know, let us know what you guys think. Yeah, Deborah's been uh, Deborah's been out for a little bit. Her husband is recovering from a medical procedure, so she's been taking care of him. But it's Friday right now. She will be back. We will be doing a headline show on Monday, which will probably come out before this one. So, um, other than that, that you got any uh, news there, Chud? That, that's excellent to hear. You guys are going to do more headline shows. I've I've listened to it. you've done two, just two, yeah, right? two. I think. Two and I absolutely loved both of them. So. Yeah, I think that's kind of like all I really want to do with her. It's yeah. like the best thing to do. Um, did you see? Uh, he's like my favorite guy in the news, uh, Sam Brinton. The, you know, the guy. Um, it's like the bald-headed dude with the mustache who wears lipstick and high heels, who's like the nuclear waste. Oh, guy! Yeah. Have you seen that guy? The guy that steals luggage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He like st- he did it again. He stole luggage like yesterday in Las Vegas. Sweet. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So he's gonna be a, a big, a big part of the show on Monday. I can't cool. wait because I'm gonna uh, introduce Deb Deborah to uh, Pup Play. Pup Play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, it's it's gonna be fun. We're gonna have a, oh we're gonna get the videos going for it and everything. So it'll be good. Cool. Cool. That'll be a, that'll be a great addition to it as well. Being able yeah, to but, uh, watch and listen to things. You got any news? We got a uh, Drew's in the waiting room. We can just let him in. Yeah, we'll just bring him in. I think we could just get get going. All right. 
All right, he's connecting. Drew missing. Hello, G'day, Drew. Here we are. How are you? You're on the air. What's going on? Awesome. Oh, you know, just hanging out, getting some, collecting my fruit from my strawberries and appleberry trees, which is fantastic. Weather's yeah. finally turned out. Right you're, on. You're, yeah. You're in the middle of summer there. Down yes. There, right. Yeah, the start of summer, but it looks like we're getting our spring weather all of a sudden that we completely missed. Did I see a post from you about snow? Was it snow? Yeah, we, yeah, we had snow this week. So it's we're in summer and we had a few centimeters of snow yesterday. Holy shit. <laughs> completely I'm assuming, normal. I'm assuming that's uh, very, very, yeah, normal. I was going to say abnormal. But... <laughs> yeah, that's it's very wild. abnormal. Very. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, Drew, we brought you here to talk about word magic today. Yeah, fantastic. Um, I saw recently in the past couple of weeks, it's been coming up in Instagram and on a few different podcasts about the possibility of word magic being real or not real. And then it stemmed and kind of steamrolled into this idea that English is a created language and it's made up on, or it's a, a reverse of Hebrew. And just through my own professional knowledge and, and my own education, I've got a little bit of a, a snippet into what possibly could be going on and what people might have missed. Yeah. Well, that sounds really, really interesting because, you know, that's, uh, I mean, a large part of it, like, uh, um, you know, something uh, me and Adam have talked about a lot is uh, we'll, we'll hear a certain astrotheologists bring up things like the sun and the sun uh, you know, Jesus Christ being the sun and then the sun in the sky. And though like that, those words have, they're, they're meant to be the same. Uh, but yet as, as Adam has discovered, you know, that word doesn't mean the same in other languages. So like, how does that, how does that go out to other languages and whatnot? Yeah. Then I, heard, I think um, of, when, I think of I, things. When oh, I heard, ahead, when I heard all that, I heard, um, Ken Ami, you ever listen to that guy? Yeah, I've heard him before. Yeah, Ken and me did a massive takedown of some some astrotheologists um, PowerPoint presentation. And that was like, you know, the easiest point that he made. But really, yeah. like just using that as an example of that, um, you know, like I can see like a whole lot of word magic things just using my own my own brain, my own adult brain to look at things. And I go sounds like is like, you know, things like that. Um, but then I when I it kind of kind of throws a wrench in it if I think about well we got other languages to contend with here, um, but then I think of um, uh, there are I've heard people say before, um, and I think we got into it when we were talking box saga. Uh, geez, it was almost over a year ago now um, that there's there's some thoughts that English might be the root language to everything i mean it can go as extreme as to to be that like we've been psyopted into believing that english is a newer language but maybe it's quite a bit older and all of that so hearing hearing you say what you're saying um i'm, I'm really curious to get into it and see see where we can get with some of this stuff because as i state over and over again on here this is an infinitely fascinating subject to me yeah the the box saga to me seemed kind of like the gematria of words like it just seemed like yeah. it was a way too big of a reach for everything to sound like each other. And then also that the guy who passed on the story to, to everyone um, also required that uh, he let you let him uh, butt fuck you to, to learn the story. Also. <laughs> so. That old chestnut. Uh. 
Yeah. Well, you know, you're absolutely right. You've been linking it back to Gematria. That's the way I kind of think about a lot of word magic in general, that people have this fascinating view about word magic in that it's something that you can invoke power and manifest things simply through words. But if we stand back and have a look at it through the average lens, like the average person, it's still in a lot of ways, language is magical. And we see that in the way words make us feel. They make us feel loved, hated, frightened, brave. Language, the words we use, the tone, the context we have it in, they actually elicit physical, emotional and psychological impacts on us. It's just the way that language works. It does that to us. So in a sense, yeah, they are magical. It has an impact on everyone. And even if we look at it through the lens of the matrix system, the places where we work, the, the societies we live in, words define what we can and cannot do in society. We have laws. We have statutes. We have all these things that define what we can and can't do, what we can sell, where we can live, what we can work with, what we can do. They dictate our lives. So in some small yeah, aspects- They define, they yeah, define all these things with words. Yes. Like, you can't get past that. Like if you, if you examine that, it's like, oh yeah. Okay. So we are using words to control. Like, I mean, that's, that's, that's absolutely going on in that sense of things for sure. For sure. So what I might do now, I know I've had issues with this in the past, but I'll try and share my screen if that's right. Okay. Let me um, uh, enable you here. Okay. Perfect. You should be good to go. Awesome. So what we'll do is, all right, we on the cool. screen now? We're good. Yeah. Awesome. I'll go just to slide share then. Um, when we look at language, you got we have to think about a PowerPoint thing for us, Drew? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like uh, Drew Dank with his PowerPoint <laughs> presentation. No, this, this is the geeky teacher side of me. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love it. So uh, to think about language, we need to go back to what we think of Westerns as language. There was one base language, and I think that's what Box Saga really tries to tap into and does it unsuccessfully. As interesting as it is, I don't think it does it well. There was a Proto-European language or an Indo-European or an Aryan, depending on what's PC or not. There was one base language for European and Indian languages. They all have a base for it. And that's a little image there that you can see. It has the Slavic languages, the Germanic, the Italic, the Celtic, and the Indo-Aryan all come back from one source. Whereas if we look at modern English and where how that's developed, we need to think about the complexity of the history around it and how it's evolved over time. Our modern English is a creation of conquests, invasions, empires. Simply put, it's a combination of various languages, Old English, Middle English, Early Modern English, and Modern English. And we can say that here. The underlying basis for it all supposedly, like I'm, I'm not a complete expert on it. I'm not the person who went back in time with the time machine. This is just what the mainstream tells us, that the basis of the English language is Celtic, followed by the Roman conquest, which brought Latin into it, the Germanic languages of the Saxons and the, and the Anglos, the Norse, the French, Latin invasion again, and then empire languages. And we can see that here. Okay. So over time... English is like a dog's breakfast. It's a bit of a mongrel of a language. It's got a little bit of everything in it. We can see that in the way that words are written, the way that words are spelled, and the sounds that we can hear. And we can see that those major influences over time, we have like, the tale of Beowulf, we have Chaucer, um, we have 
Shakespeare, the Dane law, all these things impacted the way we speak today. Mm-hmm. So Beowulf's the, uh, the original book, right? The first yeah. book. Yeah, so that's the uh, Beowulf and Grendel. So the story about the troll in which um, Beowulf went to uh, Frisia and tried to slay the demon. When we get to uh, when we get to Shakespeare, is that the origin? Is that the first time that we see what becomes modern English? Yeah, so that's the tail end of it. When you go back and you read Shakespeare, I don't know if you guys would have studied it in high school or college or whatnot. It's so strange sounding even to modern day English. It's very romanticized. And we can see that that's coming off the end of a very uh, French and um, Latin influence. And then we went into an early modern English, which is the end of the 16th century. Ironically, the same time the printing press came out. And Francis Bacon. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Which, so we've got all that, all those things that come together and created the English language that we know today. And we can see those even in our most common tenets of what we think of as English today in our days of the week. So I thought I'd just give you a little bit of a a breakdown of what our days mean. So Monday is the Anglo-Saxon origin word derived from Mondag, which roughly means day of the moon. Tuesday is the German origin word of the god Tu, which he's a god of war. It's Tuesday and he's a god of war in the sky. Wednesday, which is the Norse meaning of Odin or Woden. So it's meaning Woden's day. Um, Thursday is a pretty common one a lot of people know of because of Marvel. Thursday is the origin of God of Thunder, Thor, and comes from Thor's day. We jump into Friday, which is another Norse Germanic term named after the god Freya or Freya. So Freya's day. And the last one is actually a Latin origin word for Saturday, which is the Roman god Sater, which roughly means Sater's day or Saturn's day. Depends on what uh, variation you look at. And then the last day of the week drives back to our Christianity involvement into what English language has done, which means the day of the sun, or which is later used by the Christian church as day of Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, That always um, intrigues me, like the the basic rundown that we just got there of that. uh, uh, It seems so scattered, you know, that we're dealing with like, Norse and Germanic and then you know Latin and Christian here uh that we that that it's that it's like it's pulling from different cultures at different times uh you know I think I got that right at least the at least different cultures for sure yeah it's very um, much a jigsaw puzzle that we yeah see. it's like uh you know I always feel like when I when I really start examining days of the week uh names of months calendars in general I always feel like I'm I'm looking, you know, jigsaw is a good word, but it's like, I'm almost looking at like um, ghosts or echoes of something from the past that it's like, it's all here, but good luck putting that, those puzzle pieces together. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. And it's, it's often said that the English language is so hard to learn for foreigners because it's a code that doesn't make sense. We've uh-huh. got so many composite parts going on echoes, like you said, that, it's so hard to navigate. And like you said, our days of the week are predominantly Norse or Germanic. So you would think that the majority of the English language would be a German script, but it's everything written down is in Latin. So they've taken something that was originally Germanic. We've given a Latin script to try and understand it. 
So it kind of throws a spanner in the works there. Okay. So I don't know if, if you can answer a question like this, but I sure can't myself. Uh, how does the, how do the days of the week um, in English like versus other languages do other languages like adhere to, to, to names that come from these different cultures similarly to what we use? Yeah. Yeah, if you, I'd think if you go beyond Westernized languages, there might be differences. But because the West has been so combined and, and united over time with the Gregorian calendar and other aspects, a lot of it will translate very similar. Um, and Adam, I know you've got an Italian background, so you yeah. may have a better insight into Latin like, than I do. But like they have like Lunadi, mm. which is Luna, you know. And is that would that be uh, uh, Monday? Yep. Luna yeah, D, Marta D, Miracle D, um, which I can't remember now that I'm on the spot, but yeah. 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 I yeah. Think so it's, it's, it's like, it's like Italian words for moon, Saturday, uh, Thor, Odin, so to, to at least some degree that, yeah, that, you, can think, maybe, that you can kind or, of think of off the top of your head. Or the Roman, the Roman version. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Roman version of the gods. And we see that predominantly happen in their months. So our 12 months are completely Latin. We get everything of that from the Romans. And I can go to that now and share you with that. But when we think about the days, the months of the year, they don't make sense, Chad. And we had a conversation with this in a week or so ago that there's certain starts of months that indicate a number that don't make sense in their alignment. Do you want to have a chat about that at all? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, like what I brought up with you is... Uh, you know, the, the, the first two that was, that I noticed were, uh, the Oct- September and October. And, uh, if we have, if we had a octopus, it has eight legs. And if we had a septopus, it would have seven legs, right. <laughs> or, or seven arms or whatever we look at it as, uh, you know, sept, sept meaning seven and oct meaning eight. Like those were like really clear to me. And I was like, oh, that's pretty neat. And then it kind of just dawns on me as soon as I realized that, that, oh, wait, but we're looking at nine and 10. And then it took me a little bit more of, that was what, that was probably the first time I started noticing, as I put it, like echoes of the past, like these, like that we're, we're looking at something, it's all there, but we can't, I can't personally put it together and see what it is. And then I started realizing that, that the, the Nova or Nova, uh, can can indicate nine and deck or, or or the dec can you know decahedron uh different different shapes it's all 10 when we've got that so it's like wait we got seven eight nine ten so right we're two, there we're two off everywhere and then if yeah. you try to like look back and be like well maybe we're maybe the ethiopians are right that still only accounts for one mm-hmm. yep okay here we are here's what leads us to it the Gregorian calendar, that's what threw everything out. The Gregorian calendar worked on 12. The Roman calendar worked on 10 months with two unnamed. So the Roman calendar originally had 10 with two un- unnamed months. So essentially the unnamed months were referred to as the dead period or it was generally the time of winter. So when the government wasn't active and the military wasn't going around conquering the world. So let's go through these periods. So that would be March uh, through to December. And eventually January and February were added in later on. So let's have a look. Here's our months. The full 12 as we know them. 
if we think of January and February not being there, March would be the first. March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December. And with these, we've got the Latin variations of them. So March is Martius, which is named after a god of war, Mars, and often used as a time to tell the Roman Empire when's a good time to go to war, when the weather's good and when it's a good time to move your troops around. Mm-hmm. April, Aprilis, um, from the Latin word aperio, I'm probably butchering that, Adam. You must be able to pronounce it much better than I do. Uh, meaning open or to open, which links back to it's a time of spring. Yeah, because so uh, uh, opening. The, uh, aperto is open, to open, or I open. Okay. okay. See, there we go. <clears throat> My Anglo, this is just butchering that. Uh, May, <laughs> Maius, named after the goddess Maya. June, Junius, named after the goddess Juno. July, whoop, July is Quintilis, which is a Latin name for fifth. August, Sectilis, which means sixth. September, Latin for seventh. October, Latin for eighth. November, Latin for ninth. And December, Latin for tenth. Okay. So, is, that a, is that a direct translation? Like September means seventh? So I think sept means seven. Oct okay. means eight. Nov means nine. And Got dec it. means ten. Yeah. But that was the ten. And with these unnamed periods, the time of the dead, as they called it, they later added in January and February. So January became the first, which is named after the god Janus, and February was named after the, um, an ancient festival. And they just added them in because they had months that were not named for so long. And that's what throws out our timeline now that we have all these date, months that indicate certain numbers, but they don't line up with the order that they're in. And like you said, that's a perfect way of showing that we have a missing part of our history that the average person doesn't know or wouldn't even care about in most cases. Or even think to, to investigate or, or question. Um, and I should probably know this, but I don't um, in this moment anyway. I have in the past. Uh, when did the Gregorian calendar become the calendar? When, when, when did that become a thing? Do you know? What? I can't put a date on it. It was relatively new in the grand schemes of history, but the original Roman cal- calendar goes back to 753 BC. So I'm guessing that the Gregorian calendar from memory would have been post-Christendom, so maybe Holy Roman Empire period. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 1582 by Pope Gregory the Eighth. Okay. October 1582 by, this is Wikipedia, guys, so. Yeah, that's that's good enough. I, I anytime I'm asking a question like that or have an answer for something yeah. like that, I'm looking essentially for the Wikipedia answer because I you know I don't trust anything. But I'm curious. Usually, what do scholars say? <laughs> so it know, says like, it's a as a modification of and replacement for the Julian calendar. The principal change was to space leap years differently, so as to make the average calendar. 365.245 days long, more closely. Uh, da, 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 yeah, okay. And this is where people like Matt would, would might go down the, ra- the rabbit hole of, was the Gregorian calendar a way of changing the timeline? Sure. Because if you're adding so, two months in, it's a small little fraction, but you're changing the timeline considerably. That's a real, really good question. I mean, I think I think if we do look at things like uh, great resets and things like that, if we if, if we believe that, I think a thing like a brand new calendar coming in is a real good place to look. 
Absolutely. <clears throat> so that's just a bit of a background context of what the English language is and how aspects of Latin and Germanic and Norse are all mingled together into this one language. And I, I've listened to a show of yours recently, guys, where you're talking about how language is, especially English, is so hard for foreigners to learn and conceptualize because we have words like uh, there, there, and there. We have words like, um, we have multiple words that can be spelt differently but sound the same. Or we can have words that are spelt differently and mean different things. Mm-hmm. Those homo- homophones and holographs and homonyms that just don't quite make sense. Mm-hmm. And the important thing to remember is even in native English speakers is that a written language is not a normal thing. Humans aren't designed to write down scripts for the sounds they make. We see that in kids. Kids struggle to learn to read and for good reason. It does not come naturally for us. And people think that the the bee's knees of learning languages, if you figure the spelling out, you're fine. And to a sense, that's correct. But the biggest things that you need to get your head around with the English languages is that Oral language is the key. If you can speak English orally, you can get by. And you see that in a lot of foreign nationals that move to Western countries. They'll pick up English very easily, but their spelling and reading comprehension are completely garbage. They just don't get it. As a, uh, as a teacher of, of the youth of uh, the future of the world, Drew, do you, um, do you notice that kids who, I mean, it's, it's, probably an easy question to answer, but that kids who have been read to, kids whose parents talk to them a lot, kids who have probably better home lives pick up reading easier? A lot easier. They, they can hear the phonetic sounds and they associate that to the, to the spellings much easier. Yeah. Kids that, for lack of a better word, go home and go on an iPad or go on to auntie television for the afternoon, they don't have it. They might have a, a word bank of certain things but it's nowhere near as rich as a vocabulary of the child that constantly engages and speaks to their parents would be. Yeah. Cause I had that. My parents read to me every night before bed, you know, since I was able to remember until I could read and I, you know, pre-kindergarten, I just, I knew the alphabet. I knew what sound the letters made. And I just started reading on my own when I was like four and a half years old, you know? So that's, that's the perfect thing. You decoded the language before you even realised it. Yeah. Whereas now we get kids coming to school that don't have a strong oral language and they have to learn the code from scratch. And it's an abstract way of showing them the code in a written form instead of hearing it. And what's the difference between what happened, what I did and what's happening with kids today? Technology, I'd say. Okay. COVID's definitely had an impact on it, but like the, I don't know the family dynamic's different now. You, Kids aren't going out in the streets playing with older kids, playing with other people. They're predominantly coming home and they're sitting in front of the TV or on a device. Yeah. Yeah. I think we lived in the golden age. I had an older sister and uh, ridicule was a great way for me to learn how to do things. So, yeah, I think, I think uh, (laughs) diversity and age with young, lots of young kids with lots of different ages, all, you know, real honestly, picking on each other and, you know, sorting things out. I, I have a distinct memory. I believe I was six years old and I still pronounced uh, like uh, 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 my THs as an F. So instead of three, I would say free. And uh, it was it was like over the summer between kindergarten and first grade that I, I spent the, the days with a with a group of kids like in a babysitter's house kind of a thing where she watched, you know, 10 kids or something like that. And they ridiculed me so hard 
because my sister's name had a <laughs> th in it and i and i pronounced it wrong and i pronounced all of those wrong and by the time i was in first grade i never i never pronounced that wrong again you know it was like and i i remember being so so sad in that summer and so happy by the end of the summer <laughs> and it was all due to ridicule <laughs> but yeah uh less than that um it's it's great for for kids to have a diverse uh, group of uh, age group or to be around for reasons like that. But then also uh, engaging at home and having lots of conversation with parents and uh, reading like Adam's talking about, like all of these things are so important. And now we're in an age, especially post COVID times where it's all screens. I heard the term screenagers today. Uh, and I was, <laughs> oh. I, I was like, wow, that's surprisingly accurate. I think, um, but they're, they're not only not interacting with, I mean, maybe the diversity in age is happening, but it's happening over screens. And I don't think that that does squat. And they're also going to be interacting less with their parents. I think that they we're way more likely to see a parent not have time to read to their child and set them up with a YouTube video that's reading the book to them <laughs> or something like that, or even just not worrying about it because the kid's entertained. I think we used to read because we were trying to entertain our kids. <laughs> now there's no, no lack of entertainment for children or adults for that matter. And, and I mean, I think that's an aspect too, is that adults are busy being entertained by their screens. So they're not as willing to engage with their children. All of that together. I don't, I don't want to think about the outcome. <laughs> yeah. It's like an idiocracy scenario where people will be that dumb that yeah. <laughs> we use devices for everything. Like, how many people do not know their phone numbers anymore? It's in yeah. my phone. I don't have to memorize it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's the same with language. It's going to go that way as well. Mm-hmm. And, and, it's, and it's, a sharp, it's a sharp uptick and it's going to, I mean, it happens quick. It was not that long ago that everybody knew phone numbers. And now I hate to admit it. When I go to use, use a, a, a store and they want my phone number and it's not my phone number. So it must be my wife's phone number. <laughs> I don't have that just to spout off the top of my head. <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've got to pull out a, I've, something and look at it. And that's pathetic. Yeah. yeah. And look, like you said, like Adam, you pointed out where it was to and fro with your sister that helped you learn things. Well, my biggest memory is I spelt a word so wrong in primary school. And I can remember my teacher drilling that hard in front of the class. I felt shame about it. I never spelt it wrong again. Yeah, purely based on the shame of getting it so wrong. And that memory is driven into me now, but it's there's more than one way to learn a language. And was it like the or and or, or? <laughs> no? Uh, it was it was something <laughs> with an, an oh sound. I think it might have been should, and I was in grade two, and it was should I spelt it with a double O instead of an O U. Mm-hmm. So I had the same sound with a different spelling, but I felt so much shame and stigma from it that I never got it wrong again as a kid. Exactly. It's how we learn. It's one of the many ways we learn. That's it. All right. So our alphabet, modern day alphabet has 26 letters, 175 spellings with 44 associated sounds, which are often called phonemes. So in this act of learning the English language, that's where the decoding comes in. We've got our oral language gives us a basis. We have decoding and we have our very last part of this rope, which is an analogy I use that we have three strands that come together and, and form the way that we speak. 
So we've got that comprehension's the last one, understanding what the words mean. And we get that, like you said, talking through to our peers, parents, and, and those around us. I'll go to this next slide. This is a breakdown of how maths and science are influenced by different aspects of language. Greek and Latin have the biggest impact on the English language in maths and science. And we see that a lot, definitely in the sciences, especially with the, with the Latin. Yeah. We have those Latin names of prenames for all the animals and, and the, the, the plant world. Everyone always refers to a Latin name, especially the academics. And then we break it into where each of the sounds come from. The sounds are really important. That's the part you have to decode. Because we've got sounds that come from different cultures and different peoples, their spellings are very different. And often you can have the same sound in one culture appear in another, but has a different spelling associated with it. So we've got the ooze, <clears throat> the k from the French, the f, like you said, Chud, mm -hmm. from the Greek. We have the Latin, which takes up a large part oh, with the sh, the ch and the t, and the Anglo-Saxon, which actually makes up quite a small part now in consideration that that's where the English language started from. So here's an example. I'm going to read these words out and let's see if we can pick out the common sound that we hear in all of them. Came, bake, take, train, drain, plane, play, tray, stay, great, steak, break. What's that common sound? All the way across to all of them? Yeah. They all have different spellings, but they all have a same sound. Well, they, they all have an A. Yeah, them. exactly. In the English language, there's four possible ways to make the A sound. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So this is why it's decoding becomes that really important part because two of these spellings are from a different culture and we've adopted it, but they make the same sound. So for whatever reason, we've added those into our scripts and it's so impossible for foreigners to learn this language because we have four ways to make that same sound spelling. Yeah. Especially the, the split spelling where the A has a, gap in between with the different letter and A at the end. Right. They used to be together at one point and they were broken apart. Yeah, imagine uh, being not speaking English and then seeing like sour and then uh, poor, P-O-U-R. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And like, yeah, it's just, it must be impossible. Yeah, you get down sour and then you see poor and you would think, well, it's got to be power. Yeah. You know, and that must mean you turn on your, your lights with power and <laughs> you know you go you go on a uh uh when you're a tourist you go on a tower uh-huh right that must be spelled you know that's the way you'd, you'd be you'd want to put it together yeah i would think and often kids do like i've taught this spelling program or language program before and kids they do that they'll see the same spelling and they'll associate the same sound so you almost have to teach them that there's a trick to it and it's trying to trick you that it can be this one spelling, but it can make multiple sounds or this one sound could be presented by multiple spellings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It goes both Go directions. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so confusing. And this is the aspect of language. I don't think many people understand because they don't teach it themselves or they may not have been taught it when they're at school. And what they know of language is just repetition, that rote learning, their parents helping them, their spelling tests, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas now we're, Education is going to this approach where we're really trying to unpack the English language 
And this is what makes it dubious for me. Either this is intentional or it could be that thing where people are connecting it back to the Babel language and the Tower of Babel. Maybe English is that made-up language where it's a combination of all the languages together. Mm-hmm. I just don't know, but it's fascinating nonetheless. Absolutely. Racist. <laughs> Chud, have a go at reading these words out for me, mate. We got we'll bleed, three, feet, then read, meal, steal, funny, messy, bunny, he, she, me. We're getting that E in all of them. Yeah, we've got that E sound. And once again, four different spellings for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, as I first glanced at that one, uh, before we talked about it, it was up for a little bit. And I got to the third line with funny, messy, bunny. And I was like, oh, yeah, we switched it up because we were doing the E sound. Now we're doing the Y sound. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Because my brain, my brain decodes it so well, you could say. Yeah, we, we all decode these things so well that like I, I don't even see that Y sound at the end, particularly at the end of a word as being like that's so far away from bleed or meal. But yet, yes, it is the same sound. Hey, Drew, are, are they still teaching kids to read by sounding stuff out? Or what, what's the method now? Because I was a sounded out generation. Um, my dad said when my dad's old, he's like 80. He said when he so he's in elementary school in 1950, you know. So he's telling me that that they were taught to memorize the way that the word looks they didn't sound stuff out and then my uncle's like a little bit uh younger than my dad and he somehow got caught on like the tail end of that and the them like rolling out the sound stuff out and it was all messed up and he like didn't know how to read for like most of his life yeah so education has seems to have a thing i think it's worldwide where they're always looking for the shiny new approach and they'll have one thing for a decade, then they'll move to something else. Yeah. Then they have something else. And then they go back all the way to the start, thinking that was the bee's knees. Sounding out is still definitely a thing. They've just changed the name of it to decoding. So okay. when you're sounding, you're breaking the code of what you're trying to read. Got it. Yeah. I know as a, as a homeschooling dad, uh, I, I use both of those. We, I call them sight words and sounding out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there, there are... I, I do sight words are not so much of a thing now with a nine-year-old as they were a little bit before, particularly I wanted him, I called it sight words. I wanted him to be able to look at the, and a, I, you know, real, real, the, the, these, these really basic words that are in most sentences. I, I, I really drilled in, like, just be able to glance at this and know that that's the, like, you don't need to sound out and or the, but then once he had those sight words down, then we started working on sounding out. And that's what we still do to this day. I make him spell words at random, you know, like you want, you want, you want another whatever for dessert. Yeah, sure. Spell this, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, I always try throwing uh, curveballs at them and, and, and trip them up. And, uh, it's always, I always make them just, you know, just work at it. Keep sounding it out. You're going to get it. <laughs> You're going to get all the letters eventually. Well, that's the right approach because there's parts that even within the code don't make sense. And that is a perfect example. If you were to try and sound that out, it'd be 
uh, or uh. For some reason, it has an uh sound for the E. And kids just aren't exposed to that. So you do need those sight words. You're absolutely right. Yeah, it's like uh, in, in this in this case, and I suppose it is across the board, you know, uh, those words just have to be like a foundation um, that you just have to accept that they don't make sense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We've got five spellings now. We have the split spelling O-E, O-A, O-W, O-E, and O. So bone, phone, rote, boat, goat, toast, grow, slow, blow, toe, joe, foe, go, so, no. All make the O sound, but there's five spellings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, complete, completely different again. And then we have this spelling. Adam, would you like to have a crack? Yeah, I'll, I'll try my best. Bur- uh, bird first, thirst. Her germ stern, world worm work, hurt curl burn. It's an er sound. Yeah, it's all the er sounds. And some of these are so different from one another. Most people would think er is just the er, but you have the ur, the or, the ir. All of these make the er sound. Mm-hmm. Now, I'd be, I don't have kids myself, but I teach them. Chad, have you experienced your kids having any? Issues with the sound spellings at all? Mm, what What do you mean? Like, um, have they ever spelt bird with a B U R D? Oh yeah, sure, sure, all the time. That's the that's the backup. You know, okay, take it back. You know, like I was saying, I make them. I'm, I'm, you keep sounding it out. We just keep sounding it out. If we got the U R instead of the I R, say we're doing bird. And if it's, if he's, if he's going B-U-R-D, it's like, oh, you know, you got it. But let's, let's examine where else do we get that er, you know, then maybe it would be a B-E-R-D. Oh, we're getting closer, but we're still not there. It's, it's, it's a goofy one. And, and, you know, he knows that this is coming a lot of the time because, because like I said, I'm trying to, I'm trying to throw curveballs at him. Uh, so when, so when we have done bird first and thirst then if i go to to you know worm you know i I, i'm i'm throwing that out because i know that he's going to need to re-examine he's been spelling it out he's in a groove now we need to we i I just want to throw this curveball so that we can i I guess i've never thought this out but what all i'm doing is i'm trying to get all these different types of errs in there into his head so that he can have more tools in the toolbox to be able to figure out how to spell and even more so to read every word that he comes across. Yeah, it's just like putting more arrows in his quiver. And mm-hmm. a quick, easy prompt that can help you out is, it's not that spelling. It's the same sound, but a different spelling. Think about the spelling that you see in the word thirst or use a word he doesn't know how to spell. And he'll go, oh, it's IR, and he'll fix it up. Mm-hmm. Those can be the quick little prompts that you need. Yeah, it's a great idea. Uh, and last one I think I've got here. So again, said, mountain, bread, spread, dread, men, shed, and end. All eh sounds. Mm-hmm. And again's a bit of a, a complex one. Some people pronounce it as again or again, eh or eh. Again, how do you pronounce it? You say again. Ditto. Same. Yeah. And this is where it's really messy. It's, it depends on your accent. English. 
English, English, Australian English, American English, Kiwi, wherever you are, we all pronounce things differently and it absolutely throws a spanner in the works. If you're pronouncing words differently, the code will not make sense. Yeah, yeah. You add that, like we're, we're looking at all this code and we're going, oh yeah, yeah, this is all so crazy, like just on its own. But then also we're looking at multiple ways to pronounce all of these things between different languages too. It's freaking complex. Yeah. And you can't just say like American English because it's going to vary like five different ways throughout exactly. the United States. Sure. Sure. Uh, uh, someone from, from Alabama is not pronouncing things the same as someone from the Northwest, like Adam yeah, and I. Go talk to a Cajun person. And see <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Like. yeah exactly. and, and then you throw into it words that are made up within those regional contexts. Right? Sure. Like you have your slang words that's developing the language even now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then in like, uh, in, you know, with the way that, that the United States is bordering other places, we have mixtures of two different languages, you know, in, in Southern California, mm-hmm. probably Texas, you know, Arizona, all those places. And then I can also throw out that, you know, I'm up here close to the Canadian border. Uh, and we can all agree that that's probably the worst form of English. <laughs> <laughs> well, in even less than i mean there's there's definitely some uh pronunciation differences but they spell a lot of words differently too uh color is you guys do that you guys do those extra u's down there drew yeah we we have the king's english so you guys changed it when you became your own independent country so you're saying we're right (laughs) possibly (laughs) the americans tried to um simplify the english language because it's so complex so they removed some of those u's and a couple and mum mum in australia is m-u-m where you have m-o-m mm-hmm. all right yeah so we've we've got the english language we know the oral language side of it we've picked up a bit of the code the next step is the comprehension understanding what you're reading and understanding the basis of it and that's well, where the root I think this would fit in where we're at, unless maybe it's coming up later. Uh, but one thing I wanted to ask if you have any insight on is uh, like things like the silent K for for words like knight, no knight in, in shining armor, or knife, things like that. Like where 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 do we get a K at the beginning of these things? That I haven't actually found, and I've been teaching this program for five years now. There's just no explanation. Oh, it's just there. It's there because it was in the original script. And you try to go back and find why it had a K. It's not listed. And you have to teach kids that to spell knife, you think kniff or knife, and you just remove the K. And kids go, oh, okay, and they'll write it down. But there's aspects of it where it's still a mystery. Yeah. And maybe that's where the hidden stuff in history is. We don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be wrong about this, but just off the top of my head, I'm thinking all those silent Ks come before ends and even more so nigh type things am i no no because now there's like need um but but still i do think it's all ends and then i don't know then we have other words like psychology that start with a p and then you know and it's like i don't know the where where do where do silent letters come in on all of this and it even if we don't have answers for it, I think just pointing that out to uh, continue pointing out the level of complexity that's going into this, to this decoding that we've got to do is just, it's, it's wild. Yeah, a lot of it probably stems from having those, the Latin script applied to a Germanic language. So you've got those Latin ideas that have been influencing 
the early Celtic and, and Norse languages that they're just not meant to be there and they don't make sense. So you're going to have those, right. those issues. And then, and then also like with this too, like I said, knight, like knight in shining armor is with a K and it's spelled otherwise the same as night, as in it is dark and it is thereby night, but that's without the K. That's the only difference in our spelling mm-hmm. is the K being there or not being there. The words have completely different meanings and yet we're here to, to, to decode these and make sense of that simply based on this silent K that's put on the front. And it's, and we decode it so well, like I do so well as an adult that like, I, I, I can't mix up those words when I'm reading. They're, they're completely separate words, but man, is that similar? It's, it, they sound, sound the same, spelled almost the same. We just put one, I could call it one pointless letter at the front of it and it changes its meaning entirely. Hey, yeah, it's Chuck. almost like a, a sound family. Yeah. Hey, Chad, I got a question. Yeah. As soon as you cross that line 30 miles to your north, do they start saying like a boot and sorry? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a case by case basis. Uh, but there's nobody in Northwest Washington that's saying that, right? Absolutely not. If, if they are, they have a great sense of humor and they're making fun of Canadians. It's so weird. <laughs> that's so weird. But I know, I know I've known, uh, plenty of Canadian people who don't say things like that, but they're from the ones that are, they're from close to the United States. Yeah. But they're, but they're close. But I mean, Vancouver is 30 miles. The border is actually closer. Vancouver, downtown Vancouver, BC is 30 miles from. Okay. Got it. Uh, so it's like, I mean, that's, that's, it doesn't matter how close we are. That's as Canadian as, as, as it gets in a sense, you know, uh, uh, in, in Vancouver there. And I think that most people in Vancouver are saying a boot. I think there's also, uh, this is what we're talking about at all, but I think there's a big uh, difference between people from the city, the cities in Canada versus the people who live anywhere else. Same as it is down here. You know, we talk about that on here all the time of that Oregon or Washington are not necessarily democratic states. We got a lot of, lot of, lot of red counties. That's the way it is all the way up, uh, all over the place up there. It seems some of the, some of the best rednecks and conservative type people you'll meet are living in uh, extremely liberal provinces. And that's just because of things like, like Vancouver. And yeah, I think those talking, people, uh, Willie Picton. And a lot of those people, yes, exactly. And I think Willie Pickton's one, he's probably going to sound more like someone closer to someone from the South in the United States than saying, Ooh, look at the, look at the deer there. You know, <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard him talk, man. It's, uh, it's like, is it's, it's pretty Canadian, dude. Is it pretty Canadian? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, never mind. He's like, but... <laughs> yeah, but, but that's like, there's like redneck Canadian. And yeah. That's, it's like that. Sure. It sounds almost like, like some sort of uh you know something from scotland almost you know like mixed like real mixed in there mm-hmm. so that as an australian that throws me so much because we're an island continent we've got no neighbors actually touching us yeah we don't have any border towns it's just us yeah so when to hear that you've got border towns and people from other countries that are living on the border or your own countrymen and the language varies that much it's, it's astounding yeah, it's yeah. just weird that there's no like, there's no like uh, demilitarized zone like you know in the <laughs> in the middle there like a couple miles on each side where everybody's like mixed in talking that way. Well, yeah, didn't the Canadians actually cut down the majority of the forest across the border? 
to stop border jumpers the, the border itself oh yeah i haven't been out in the wilderness in that I, I i've crossed the border you know when i was young uh like no problem uh, un, undocumented uh it's kind of amazing being way out i mean like we're talking very far east from here and we're hiking we went up to canada and we're following uh this river down and suddenly I mean, we're just thick, thick, thick in the wilderness. And all of a sudden you hit this spot where it was probably 200 feet wide. Uh, as far as the eye could see in both directions, that's the border right there. And uh, I, I've been led to believe that's the way it is. Absolutely all the way across. Yeah, if you ever watched that, um, that series on HBO, Escape from Danamora, about the guys that um, escaped from prison in upstate New York, like that's where the guy he gets shot like running across that. Yeah. Yeah. It would be hard to run across. And now I hear, I hear that they have cameras every however many hundred feet. So there is, there's, there's no way to cross that open space without, without yeah. being caught on. It was camera. crazy. The cop hit him at a hundred yards with a 40 caliber handgun, <laughs> hit him in the back with a 40, with a handgun at a hundred yards. Yeah. Give that man yeah. a rise. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, that's crazy. Like, I can't believe that that extent has gone through. Like, Canadians are meant to be, like, the nicest people, but then they've got this really, really in-depth way to protect their border from foreign nationals. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, they've, uh, they've, they've detained me at the border. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're, like, the biggest dicks. They're border patrol. Like, I, I'm not... I got a DUI 10 years, over 10 years ago, and I might be able to get in if I go there now, but there's a pretty good chance that they would just say no. And it's like, some people have said like 10 years, they'll let you in, but you better like go check like at the consulate before you leave. Yeah. I think the actual, the actual procedure is, is after 10 years, then you can apply for a temporary crossing. So you can go there and you can take classes to learn why you shouldn't drink and drive or whatever. <laughs> and, like and then, and then if you pass those and it's not easy, it's like, you have to do it multiple times. They actually made George W. Bush do this when he was president <laughs> because he had a DUI in the seventies and he had yeah. business he had to attend to there and they made him go through all of it to be able to do it. Kind of, kind of wild. It's uh, it's interesting though, you know, like, especially like, you know, as we deal with border issues down south, uh, they they make it seem like like we're such dicks because we don't just let anyone in. I'm like, yeah, try going up to Can Canada. I, exactly. Yeah, try uh, getting like, try getting into Mexico from the south. See what they do. I they before they would let me go back to my family when I tried crossing because I also have a DUI, and I had crossed without telling them that, and they didn't ask me, and they allowed it, and I thought, oh, cool. It had been like eight years at that time, something like that. And I was like, yeah, this is great. Like, I, I guess I waited long enough and I, I went across a few times and then I finally went one more time. I had my whole family with me and they were like, they were asking when the last time I was it when I was in Canada and I told him and he ran my name and he saw that I had a DUI and he said, so you've lied to, cause we can see that you've crossed the border. That means that you lied every single time to come into Canada and, uh, you know, you're, you're in big trouble kind of a thing. And I had to sign a piece of paper that said I wouldn't attempt for another 10 years. I think it's uh, 2028 is the next time I'm allowed to, to uh, 
tempt for that temporary <laughs> ability to go up there and take classes for them to allow me back into Canada. It's like, yeah, I'm good. Fuck so you guys. just can't you can't cross the border to go commit suicide real quickly now. You have to wait. Yeah, they've I gotta already, wait. <laughs> they've, already, they've already said that that you can't. You have to be in the Canadian health system to to be able to um, participate in the MAID program, which is I forget what it stands for. It's M A I D, um, something death at the end. But uh, yeah, they they did that to discourage tourism suicide tourism. How very nationalistic. We'll kill our own people first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. <laughs> uh, all right. So let's let's round yeah. this whole thing off. Let's we had get oral back language. To we had oral language. We had decoding, which is sanding out. And the last part is comprehension, understanding what you're reading. And this might tie back into a little bit of that silent letter stuff. If you understand the meaning behind certain spellings that are a part of a word you can use that to figure out what the word actually means if it's unfamiliar to you. So this is where prefix and suffixes come in. So the prefix is a part that is attached to a base word at the start and the suffix is a part that's attached at the end. So if an example would be sub. Sub is a prefix, which means below, under, or beneath. So if you would see the word submarine for the first time as a kid and you know what sub means, you know what means beneath marine so you can understand that it means below something and then once you know what the meaning of marine is the ocean water you can bring it together and understand that it means submarine means something that is below the water so you're understanding what the individual words mean or the individual base words mean now don't know is this something they, they teach in the american system did you learn what prefixes and suffixes were yep. yes yeah cool you haven't gone that far off the deep end with your American English. <laughs> so here's just a quick example. Re, miss, pre, and im are all the prefixes, pretty common ones we see. Re means again, or and um, so if you put that in rewrite, means to rewrite something. So writing it again. Miss means wrong or bad. As in missing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, spot on. <laughs> um, wrong or bad. Misbehave means you've um, the wrong behavior. Pre means before. Pre-made means you've made something before. Im means not or the opposite of. So impolite is you're not being polite. So if you've got an understanding of what each of those uh, little prefixes or suffixes are, you can generally decode words a lot better and understand them through comprehension. And another suffix we've got here. So there's an end one. An example is this gives the words... Um, so this suffix would be you give a process of an ing. So ing, we see it on heaps of words, jumping, running, diving, shooting. It means the action of doing it. So when we see a word like jump, we understand that the current action of jump is jumping. So it's making it easier to understand. Once you know ing means you're doing it, you're doing the action. And again, here's just a few quick little suffixes that are pretty common. Adj, ible, less, and ish. So adj means a result. So wreckage, it's a result of a wreck. Ibble, ability, means ability. So it's flexible means it's the ability being flexible. Less means without. So careless, you're without any care. Ish means a small amount. So if it's greenish, it's lightly green. And that's pretty much it, guys. So as long as you've got a firm understanding of your oral language, your decoding skills, which is your sounding and your comprehension, 
you can master the English language. And in that essence, like we talked at the start, where words can make you feel a certain way and words dictate what we can do in life and how they're defined, they are a form of magic. I think it's very easy for us to try and pigeonhole English as being something nefarious or otherworldly, like spelling is the casting of a spell, just when you don't have an understanding of the complexity of it. It's a, it's a quick scapegoat. It's like a gematria of the written word. It's a quick way to get into something that doesn't necessarily have to be there. Sure. Well, it's also like, you know, um, if you take the concept of mind control to its most basic essence, <clears throat> like um, if I say red balloon, did you guys picture a red balloon? Was, was that me mind controlling you to put an image in there? So I did, think, can, I did think of the movie. You, you thought of the movie, the red balloon? Oh, it's a red balloon, yes. Yeah. Uh, well, still, it made you, it, I, I controlled your thoughts. They yeah. went in a different direction. Maybe they didn't control, maybe I didn't control them well because I was, I was hoping you'd picture a balloon on a string, but maybe you did because you thought of the movie and there's a balloon on a string in that. Uh, but the idea that like mind control could, can, could be broken down to being as simple as you say something and you're thereby putting things into people's head you're absolutely mind controlling someone to be reading. If you write words and someone else is reading those words, you're controlling what they're thinking about while they're reading those words. Cause they're reading what you wrote down. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah and, you're, um, you're influencing them. What makes if if you want to like see it being done in practice, go talk to your mom and see what she says about, politics right now and then go watch cnn at least for me and you'll yeah. hear exactly what's being pumped out words just words and deborah does it every once in a while too she'll just say like the thing that's the word of the week or whatever you know the thought of the week the current right. talking point yep use, a use threat to extra, democracy. use extra caution on health health benefits on on twitter right now health information on twitter right now and we've all, we've all we've all seen those um those those um mashups of of the the news broadcasters all, yeah you know yeah. they do it on no agenda all the time of them saying the exact same thing over and 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 then it's just the thing you know right and i think i think just about anybody can see that mind control that we're describing there maybe not our moms that we're talking about maybe not the people who are uh happily going along with it that it might, might even then i think they could see it it's just they'd be uh, offended to even think that they're being mind controlled like that um, but if we can see that, that, that simplicity of what mind control could be, mind control to me is a form of magic thereby everything we're saying is, is word magic in that sense. And it goes, it goes even deeper once it starts becoming a written, a written deal, which is when you're, when you're dealing with spelling. And I do, th I just, I, I can't help, but think about that a lot that that's that is just man that's that word sounds like is like am i right <laughs> especially when you throw in you put your signature and you sign your life away in certain documents like mm -hmm. it's yeah. all there yeah it's all it, it's it's so fascinating i i think that everyone 
I think the world would benefit if everyone looked at what mind control and what word magic within that is like whether whether anybody thinks it's bullshit or not or whatever just just to think about it same with the just the the way we were talking about calendars and such earlier that there's all this that's like right in front of us and i think just about anybody would find that to be fascinating it's just that it's not really available and i think anybody would find word magic and mind control to be fascinating it's just that they those those words conjure up a a different it it creates a different type of mind control where they're thinking of um uh you know marvel movies where where someone can they mind control your hand and make you do things that you're that you're not wanting to do but instead just think of mind control in a very simple sense of getting someone to think something and kind of anytime you're talking you're doing that anytime someone's listening to you you're controlling their mind to a degree. Well, we saw it during COVID, like when you have nurses on the street going, would you like to get tested because Omicron's on the rise? And you ask them a question, can that test actually diagnose Omicron? Oh, no, it can't differentiate. Then how do you know it's on the rise? Oh, because it's on the rise. Mm -hmm. So they've got that talking point themselves. That is the word magic at play. Mm -hmm. Just the influence, the influencing of people's thoughts. You're absolutely right, John. Well, and it, yeah, I mean, it works. It works. It works to their benefit all the time. I mean, they've got the whole. They've got you know. We could. I mean, COVID is a perfect example of it. There's so many things that that it's it just shuts. If you, I mean, I'm over arguing with anybody about anything, you know. But like, it's if it, they have it prepared and they don't even know in their head, like, oh, well, it would have been so much worse if I hadn't worse. gotten that <laughs> thing, you know. You know, even though he died, it would have been so much worse for him. And just like, yeah. <laughs> over and over, I watched a, uh, I don't want to keep bringing it back to all this because I know I've been doing it a little bit much lately, but I watched a no-no movie today and um, <laughs> they show in it that certain people have been talking about a certain number in between 5 million and 7 million had, had said it like hundreds and hundreds of time in media print between 1870 and 1845, that number had been in in mm-hmm. the lexicon leading up yeah. to that. It just apparently random stuff. Apparently, that many million of them died in Russia before the First World War. Yeah, yeah, that's in print, but yeah, it actually never happened. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, it shows yeah. that the combination of government and media influence over time and how it shapes people's beliefs, especially around history. Yeah, so I don't think you're off the mark there. And, yeah. and it's so difficult for people to believe they've been lied to or believe that they've been mind controlled into believing something that's not true. It can be, it's, it's just, you know, it's how, how, if you have a business owner who's had their business shut down because of COVID and you tell them COVID's not real, they go, no, it is. I lost my business because of that. How are you telling me that wasn't real? Because I really did lose my business. And just that reality that they lost their business over something that wasn't real. That's a real hard thing for, that's a real hard pill for a lot of people to swallow. Let, let alone, yeah. let alone your family dying, let alone, you know, your, if we're, if we're talking about, about those numbers we're talking about and stuff, it's like, 
I don't know, someone who's dealt with some real tragedy in their life and they've had it explained to them real well. They've had their mind controlled into understanding why their life has had very specific tragedy in it. And they think they have that narrative down and someone comes along and tells them that narrative's not right. That's not, it's not easy. That's like what you were talking about with ghosts, how people aren't open to listening things until it's the right time. Mm-hmm. Because they'll have that level of indoctrination, what they've been influenced by throughout their life. If that is completely polar opposite to what the reality is, and it's such a shock to the system, of course they're going to fight back against it. That's self-preservation. They have to defend themselves. Psychologically, yeah. it's the only way they can survive. It would almost be stupid not to. Exactly. You'd, you'd, be, you'd be just like everybody watching CNN to just hear someone say something that you've spent a whole lifetime believing. You just hear it once and you're just like, oh, okay. You know, <laughs> that's, yeah, it's, it's complex. Yeah. And that's that's what's interesting now that you, but, sorry, Adam, you go. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say like the next, the next level of it is, is being able to realize that it's happening to, it's happening to all of us too, you know, and like mm-hmm. being able to go back and like, look at, what we're getting fooled on what what's been being pumped into our heads too yeah like this word magic shit no yeah. <laughs> i only looked into it because it's a current thing so i was influenced by it yeah <laughs> but the big uh, one coming out now is the whole ufo disclosure for the longest time it was pumped into people's minds that there's nothing there it's completely it's horse crap it's not real and then now it's a pivot into a position where they're alluding to that it is very real and the government's on board with it all of a sudden. That's a big paradigm shift suddenly. Yeah. Yeah. And then and it when can that... shift again and they'll, and you'll be a lunatic if you don't believe it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that's when people like us stop believing it is when the government starts <laughs> yeah. saying that it's a real thing, you know? <laughs> that's when I start thinking, okay, maybe there's grace, but they're definitely from inside the earth. hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Well, I'm like, this was good, guys. It was, um, it might be a bit dry for people, but I thought it was worth a bit of a discussion to see how word magic definitely can be real, but not in the ways that people think in their fantastical ways of conjuring things and, and the mind manipulation that people go to when they have the tinfoil hat on. It's, right. It can be more subtle, more subdued, and less noticeable. It even happens to us. Yeah, oh, Absolutely. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. I didn't know what I, what, what I was getting myself into. I was expecting something a little more wild, and this was just uh, perfect. So thanks, yeah, Drew. This is, this is no great. Worries. I, feel, I feel like I've, I'm, I'm getting a lot more answers to a lot of questions that are just kind of kind of constantly going through my head right now. You know, like I'm, I'm thinking about language a lot. I'm thinking about these things. Um, I, have, I have a lot of... Um, you could say basic or rudimentary questions about all of it. And, and this was, this was touching on all of that. So it's really good. No yeah, worries. Thanks. More than happy to come on board guys. And it was, yeah, really good. Yeah. Um, Drew, tell everybody where to find you. Yeah, sure. I'm Drew Misson from your Missing the Point podcast, M-I-S-S-E-N. Uh, you can find me on all the usual podcatchers. And I've recently just started a show with, Andy Rouse and Moral Bob called Conspiracy Theatre 3000. There's been a few technical hiccups in the background, but we are working away and getting our content out soon, hopefully something before Christmas. And I'm starting a new podcast called The Homeroom, Educators Educating Educators, 
working on that one with the lovely Kaylee, Moral Bob's wife, and it's going to be myself, a government school teacher and a homeschooling teacher, sharing notes on how to help parents at home with their kids. Yeah, that's great. I'm glad to hear about that one. I think that uh, I think that this community has a has a little hole that needs to be filled, and that's on the education side. I'm also really glad to hear that you guys are moving forward with Conspiracy Theater 3000. I wanted to ask you about that before we got out of here, so I'm 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 glad that that came up because uh, I absolutely loved your episodes that you did. Uh, I forget what moniker you guys were under. Um, uh, movie Minds originally before we minds. had Andy yeah. join in. Yeah, but uh, I, I love Andy. He's a good friend of the show and I'm looking really forward to, to all of that. Yeah, don't tell him I talk shit about the box saga. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's, uh, what's the first film you guys are going to get into? Uh, I'll drop it here for the listeners. It's going to be They Live. Hell yeah. Yeah. Cool. Perfect one to start it off with, I think. Absolutely. I saw They Live when it was a new release, so. It's the year I was born. Nice, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got Rowdy Roddy Piper's autograph at a mall. You know, he's a he's an Oregonian, so he's a, he's one of my favorites. And I was a big, big WWF fan back in the day, so. Oh, yeah. Well, right on, guys. Um, well, yeah, that's it. Missing the point. And, um, yeah, we'll be back soon. Anytime you want to come back and tell us some more stuff, uh, let us know. Okay. No worries, Mike. All right. Thank you guys. Thanks, Drew. Peace out. See you, man. See ya.